0: Well, today's an important message. Um, we're going to continue in our sermon ca- series called The Sermon That Turned the World Upside Down. This is very important for maturing as a Christian, maturing, understanding your Bible. Many of us, we start following Jesus, the so people start sharing to us, sharing with us about the gospel, and maybe we run into the Old Testament. We'll say, well, stop reading that Old Testament, right? All of a sudden, you're in that Old Testament, you start reading about animal sacrificing, Right? People getting commandments to live by from a mountain, a burning bush telling somebody what to do. You know, you get in there, you say, God is judging people, he's punishing people. You're like, I want to go to the New Testament, right? We say, I want to, tell me about Jesus. He's just loving people, he's dying for people, all that good fluffy stuff, right? That is, even though I understand the thinking, it's wrong thinking. The Old Testament is just as important as the New Testament. It's not two different gods. Sometimes we think there's an Old Testament God and there's a New Testament God. Some people will even go far and say, man, I'm a New Testament Christian. What does that mean? That's like saying, so we have some football fans in here. Are there any second half football fans? There probably are, but I'm not defining it like that. Imagine you were a football coach and a kid came up to you and said, I'm a second half football player. So let me know when you get in the second half. I'm going to come in and play for you. You say, what are you talking about? You say, first of all, you don't understand the game of football because executing the game strategy during the first half, setting the tone for the game, laying the foundation is crucial to getting the win in the second half. So sometimes Old and New Testament aren't helpful terms. Let's call it the first half and the second half. One full game. You need to understand the first half of this redemptive game, this redemptive plan, in order to understand and be ready for Jesus, the Savior, the MVP, who all of us come here today to worship us, worship him, and some of us come and ask questions about him. You have to understand this. Because a lot of times we get the book, and what do people say? What is the Bible? Oh, just some laws you got to live by. That's partially true. I don't even want to give it half, right? That's very true. There are rules and laws to live by, and we should seek to grow in them. But this whole book is about Jesus. It's about Jesus. And when we make it something it's not, it ruins life lives. When we make it what it is, it saves lives. When we make it something it's not, it cages people. When we preach it the right way, it frees people you guys hear me? There's many people through history who use this book to cage people for their own power, to dominate people, to glorify themselves. But this book is all about a person who is God, who came to save you, to rescue you. And he is the one who we glorify today. Now, that's why Jesus rebuked the Pharisees, because the Pharisees are the scribes. And when I say Pharisees are the scribes, I'm talking about the religious leaders of the town. There would be all the pastors in the town today coming against Jesus. You know, with the nice clothes, pointy hat, just looking awkward. These guys were the guys coming against Jesus. And you know why they were coming against Jesus? Because they wrongly understood this book as just a book of law, not a book about a person. And that's why Jesus said, You preach the law of the prophets, you study them, you even oppose me. But you know nothing about this law, all the prophets, all this book, because if you did, you would see me for who I am, the Savior of the world, the Messiah that this book prophesies about. So I want us as a church not to turn this book as some way to condemn people, but a book leading to a person that frees people. Amen? Let's turn to Matthew 5, verse 17 through 20. Do not think that I come to abolish the law or <coughs> the prophets. I've come not, I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, and teaches other to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven for i tell you unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and pharisees you will never enter the kingdom of heaven so this is going to be a message that's going to help mature us this is important for our study in the scriptures so we're going to go through some practical and logical stuff here Because when Jesus, first we want to define, what does Jesus mean when he says, I didn't come to abolish the law and prophets, I came to fulfill it. Do you guys know what the law is when he says the law? It's the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those were called the Torah or the Pentateuch and what Jesus is referring to as the law. How many laws do you think are in those five books? How many saw Charlton Heston and think there's only 10 commandments? There are 613 laws for the people of Israel to abide by. 613. 365 of them were negative laws. You can define them as, man, the thou shalt not, right? Thou shalt not do this, thou shalt not do that. There was 248 of them were positive ones, like, you shall love the Lord your God, you shall know the Lord your God, you shall fear the Lord your God. Among those 613 commandments, there were three categories that if you broke, it's better to die than to break these laws. That was idolatry. It was That's why you run into people like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, for those people who grew up in Sunday school, who would rather say, burn me up than worship another god. Because they knew that it was taught in the law that you should rather be martyred than worship another god. The second one was Murder. Because all the law was about preservation of human life, the sanctity of life, us as image bearers of God to care for one another, fight for each other's life. It was better to be killed than to murder someone else. And finally, you know what the third one was? It was better to die than be in forbidden sexual relationships. Those three things you would rather die in the law of the Old Testament than be involved in. I just want us to feel the weight of the law and the weight of what people would hear in the Old Testament. 613 statutes. Now, he says the law who was given to Moses, right? Moses was a mighty, great prophet who had an intimate relationship with God. God would actually at times speak to him audibly. He would audibly speak to him to bring to God's covenant people rules they should live by. Law is good. I know when I grew up, a lot of my friends hated the police. We call them things like Popo and 5-0. I still don't know what that means. We hated the police. Know why we hated the police and we hated the sound of sirens? Because we were doing something wrong. We didn't want to hear that sound because usually we were doing something that we shouldn't be doing. We usually hate the law when we're breaking it. You know what? Now that I have a family and a home, And the people I need to protect, when I hear those sirens, I'm like, thank God there is law enforcement in my town. Right? Because I'm not out breaking the law. Now, it was important for God when he was choosing a people who would exalt him, who would be a witness to the nation of his glory and his grace and his power and his holiness. It was important that he set down some laws for people to live by. Laws are good when they teach us to respect one another and worship a God and not steal and be holy. Law is good. So that's the law. The first five books, all that law, law given through Moses that the people of Israel follow. When he says the prophets, he's roughly saying the rest of the Bible, the rest of the 34 books. So you have Joshua through Esther. Then you have Job through the Song of Songs. Then you have the major prophets who would be Isaiah through Daniel. Then you have Hosea through Malachi. You have 39 books there that are all the prophets. And what is happening in that? you got the history of a nation chosen by God, how he was redeeming them, how he was covering them, how he was delivering them, how he was calling them, how he was teaching them, and you got prophecies of the Messiah. So they're saying, there's one, we saw that in Genesis, right? When man chose to sin, there's a prophecy in Genesis 3, said, I'm going to send a Messiah who's going to come and crush the head of Satan and the head of sin. There's one coming to save you who will overcome Satan's sin and death and free you. Over and over again, from the time they said he'd be born of a virgin, they said where he would be born, they said how he would, be di- how he would die, how he would be resurrected, what bloodline he would come through how his um, kingdom would be established forever, you have that woven all the way through the Old Testament. That's the prophets. We need to set that stage because Jesus is saying, I didn't come to abolish the law, the first five books, all the prophets, all the prophecies and histories of this Messiah. I came to fulfill them. Because you know that the Pharisees were acting like the holy police. Have you ever met someone who's acting like the holy police? Have you ever been the holy police? Right? Some p- holy policemen in here fronting. Let me give you my sinful example. I was following God and I followed hard, man. I went over the top. And so I decided I wasn't watching TV for one year. What a waste of a year with television time. One year, so I'm not watching TV. But know what happened. You can have your own personal convictions. If someone wants to start, wa- start watching TV, start watching TV. The problem with me was, I thought if I stopped watching TV, everyone else had to stop watching TV. So all of a sudden, it was like, you catch that show this week? I don't watch TV. Were you not aware of my holiness as you approached me? (laughs) You know, I turned into the holy police. It got so bad, we were part of a youth group, and I knew some dudes were watching the WWF back in the rock day. Nothing like back in the machos day. There's no comparison, let's be honest with each other. I heard they were watching the WWF. So me and another youth group leader said, we're going down there. The holy police is going to enter the building without a search warrant. We got in there, got in the door, and just started looking at people. They're trying to enjoy the WWF. Enjoy the WWF. If it gets crazy, I haven't watched it in a while. Maybe there's some things you shouldn't enjoy. I don't know. I haven't watched it since the, it's heyday. But we broke in there and said, listen, why are you watching the WWF? Why are your eyes partaking on such filth? The holy police were in the building. And it was my conviction I was trying to put on someone else, and we should never do that. Amen? That's not right. Let's not be the holy police in here. If you have convictions on doing things, do them. But live before God in them. We can't make our convictions the scriptures and expect people to live by them. That's not healthy, that's not holy, and that will not bring people to God. What the Pharisees were, in an extreme example, were the holy police. They were considered to be the ones who knew the law of Moses and the prophets better than anyone else. But they understood the law wrong, and they used the law wrong, because they used the law to put themselves up here above the people, instead of like Jesus who came among the people. Do you guys hear me? They used the law to exalt themselves. They used the law to look like they were the best prayers. That's why they blew the trumpets on the corner and everyone was there. They used the law to get them the best seats in the house. They used the law even financially to get money from people. They would use widows to give them money and they would take advantage of people using the law for their own gain. And so that's why when they see Jesus working on the Sabbath, their idea of working on the Sabbath was like, if you lift your hands over your shoulders... They thought you were working on If they were down here, it was like, he ain't working. He's working, holy police. That's how it really was. So they try to catch Jesus for those who who read the scriptures. What? He's healing somebody. The holy police are coming up and saying, why are you healing somebody on the Sabbath? Can you imagine that? Someone's being made whole. A, A crippled man is walking. A man who has this disease is whole. And they're saying, why are you doing that on the Sabbath? The law of God was not made so people weren't healed. On the Sabbath. Jesus came to make people whole. You know, and you see it over and over again, why are you hanging around with sinners? They thought from the law, he shouldn't be hanging around with sinners. And they missed the whole point. The law was to lead you to explain, um, proclaim the gospel to sinners. And they missed the big part. They are sinners. So every time they eat, eating, they eat with sinners. They missed all those things. And Jesus confronts that. And he says, you're missing it. Because they kept coming to Jesus and saying, you're trying to get rid of the law. You're trying to abolish the law. And Jesus says, no, I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. You're just not seeing it right. Do you remember when David and his men, so David was on the run from King Saul, and he got this crew, was just this motley crew of dudes. It said, literally the crew of guys, he said they were just vagabonds. And they became David's army. So his army was hungry. And so they were in the temple, and there was only consecrated bread there. And guess what David did, because he was hungry. In the law, you're not supposed to eat that consecrated bread. But David said, I'm hungry. I'm going to go down if I don't eat a loaf of bread. He eats the bread. And Jesus says, there was no sin in that. He ate the bread, and he did not um, abolish the law. You know that was why that was? Because he would have died, him and his men, if they didn't eat, to have strength. Do you guys see how that works? Because the preservation of the law on every other commandment except for murder, idolatry, and forbidden sexual relationships was preserve your life instead of die. So it was the Sabbath and a trees about to follow you, fall on you, and you have to lip up your hands to stop it? Don't be like the law. Like that, you're taking the law wrong. Like lift them up, preserve a life, save yourself. But they were reading the law wrong, so Jesus keeps saying, No, you've seen it wrong. David ate the bread, and what I'm doing, Sabbath was not made for uh, man was not made for the Sabbath, Sabbath was made for man. You're missing the law, you're missing the heart here. I didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. Now this is crucial in your theological framework right here. I need you guys to hear this. Because a lot of people ask me so much questions, like, why am we still killing goats? Why does it say I shouldn't wear certain fabrics in the Old Testament? Why does it say I can't eat certain hoofed animals? Do we still have to do that? No. But I want to explain to you why, because many people get confused and say, we're not following the Old Testament law. It's because it was fulfilled in Jesus. I'm going to give you this framework so you understand and grow theologically. The first one is, there was ceremonial law. Does everyone know ceremonial law? That meant that God was holy. Holy beyond anything we can understand. Pure, innocent, holy we his people since man chose to sin and rebel against god have been sinful in so many ways in order for a holy god to be in relationship with a sinful people someone or something has to pay the penalty the wages of sin is death that's justice if you commit a crime someone has to pay for it god established a sin system let me let me please understand this One, so the people's sins could be atoned for, forgiven, and they could approach him ceremonially. The priest would make sacrifices so they could understand before God to sacrifice those. And also to get us ready for someone, a Messiah who would be coming to make a final sacrifice. He was speaking our language. God has to speak very simply in order for us to get it. Because he is God. He made the cosmos. He made the earth. He is the most intelligent being that ever will be. He starts speaking some of our language to understand how holy he is, to understand how sinful we are, and only through a sacrifice can we be in relationship with him, setting setting the stage really for Jesus. So you had to bring a bull, you had to bring peace offerings, and certain sacrifices. But what happened when Jesus came? What do they constantly call him in the New Testament? The Lamb of God. What do they constantly call him? The final sacrifice. Meaning that when he was sacrificed on our behalf to fulfill that ceremonial law, to atone for our sins, to take away our guilt and our shame, to take the punishment that was ours to bear, he fulfilled all ceremonial law so there would have to be no more animals that were sacrificed. Does everyone understand that? You don't continue that ceremonial law because Jesus perfectly fulfilled it. No more sacrifices. But that was very helpful on getting us ready to understand Jesus' love and God's love, that he was the Lamb of God. Do you agree? That set the framework among people so we'd understand the work of Jesus, the redemption that God gave us, and the love of God. When you look at that final sacrifice, you see the love of God, you see the heart of God, you see who God is, the author of love. So we got ceremonial law. That's why we don't sacrifice animals around here. A lot of you love animals and you wouldn't be here. I see your posts. Secondly, we got civil law. And this is the law <laughs> that ruled the people of Israel. This is where you get into certain foods that should be eaten, certain clothes that shouldn't um, be worn like fabrics and wool. They they were setting the stage for what was holy, right? They God was using... These chosen people to show the world that he was holy and set apart and they did things different. And there were civil laws to love your neighbor, like don't steal your neighbor's goat. We don't need that civil law today. Who's stealing each other's goats in here in Massachusetts? Come on. You really want that one to keep going? What happened was all the civil law that helped a people be governed by a holy God required that God, through Moses, gave certain ways to dress, certain ways to eat, certain ways to treat each other as neighbors and love them, that applied to those people at those times that were fulfilled perfectly in Jesus, because Jesus now only said not just the Jewish people, not just the nation of Israel, but all people now the gospel is open to, all the Gentiles who had different um Customs and different civil laws within the framework of moral law. Do you guys hear me? So now it's just not a Hebrew people who grew up in this culture. Some people need to get this, man. I've been at churches with people straight up. They're not even Jewish, and they're wearing Jewish stuff because they're taking the Old Testament in the wrong way. i I'm um, There's a brother walking in with an ephod. ephod. It's 2014. He has an ephod on, and he's from East Boston. Like, you don't have to dress like the Hebrew people from 2,000 years before Jesus came. Because those... Does anyone know what an ephod is? I heard a few laughs. You've been reading those scriptures, right? You don't have to dress like a nation dressed, which was this civil law that God used to show His holiness, because God not only saves the Jewish people now who are many of the disciples, not only called the Jewish people, but he called all the world with different customs. So the civil law is fulfilled through the work of Jesus and now through the proclamation of the gospel. Do we have that so far, guys? Ceremonial, civil. Now we have the one that ties it all together, the moral law. Now this is important we understand because it's a sophisticated text, meaning the moral law is still woven through the, ceremony and the c- ceremonial and civil law because it was moral to do the ceremonial things because God himself commanded it. So that's moral. It was moral to follow the civil law because God himself commanded it. But then you have moral law. And how many people, when it came to moral law, will, would identify yourself as a lawbreaker? Thank you for being strong, Deepak. Thank you. We're all lawbreakers. We all break moral law. Is that true? We're all sinners in our heart and in our actions, in our thoughts in the way we do things. Someone had to come to perfectly fulfill moral law so that we could be right with God. Do you guys hear me? Who perfectly fulfilled moral law? Jesus. Although he was tempted, although he was fully God and fully man, he never once sinned in thought and attitude. Are in action. Someone had to fulfill the moral law of God so that men could be right with God. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus fulfilled the law on our behalf. And when you really get the depths of that, that will set you free. Some of us are trying to make up for our broken moral law and our own strength, right? We're trying to do enough good deeds so something wrong we did will be made right. How many people do that? You know, got things on the list and say, man, I gotta do five charitable walks. I gotta buy some food for that person I hurt. Like, it's okay to do good deeds and we want to do them. But there's no amount of good deeds that can make up for our bad deeds unless you live perfectly moral in your whole life. And that's what Jesus did on our, our behalf. He lived morally so now we can do good deeds out of the freedom that Jesus fulfilled it on our behalf, not out of a debt that we need to be paid, we need to pay to others but out of a debt that was paid on our behalf by Jesus Christ. That's powerful. I know I'm acting low-key right now, but I want a cotwell around this place because that's so powerful that God's only son came on our behalf to fulfill the law. Now, he says not only the law, but the prophets. They failed to see that not only did he fulfill perfectly all the law, ceremonial, civil, and moral, But he fulfilled every prophecy, every single prophecy that was given about the Messiah who would save the world and save the Jewish people was perfectly fulfilled by Jesus. From where he was born to how he died to how he lived. Every part of it was fulfilled by Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah. He came not to abolish, but to fulfill the law. In the prophets. Does that make sense to everyone, that basic theological framework? So now we can get in um to some application Jesus gives us. Then actually, when I read it, you ever get scared in a good way? Like this good scared, like people say you should never be afraid of God. Yeah, you should be scared sometimes. Because not like God is gonna not love you or cast you away, but you should be scared that some of your life is not honoring God and actually detrimental to others. That's important like there's a paranoid scary fear that you should never have But there's a reverence and an awe of god that we all should have that shapes our life to love god So this says right here whoever relaxes One of these commandments of the law and teaches others to do so is the least in the kingdom of heaven Now when you hear that what happens what goes through your mind what laws am I relaxing? And i'll get i'll ask you Let me give you one simple one that I relaxed and taught others to relax. From the time I was 12, for some reason, in my moral judgment, it was okay to buy one movie ticket and see seven movies in the same day. In my mind, I paid for the ticket, and that was justice. But I made a day out of it. Like, I go in at 1, and I leave at 8 just walking out like, thank you. Like... Somehow it didn't click in my head that I was stealing. I'm talking to my late 20s like this was like a 15-year run. I'm a pastor and I'm stealing movies. I'm in there buying one ticket, spending the day like preaching the gospel. What's wrong with this kid? One day it hit me. Someone said something. I said, I'm stealing. I am stealing whatever. Says. So I, I'm stealing $45 from a company. And I'm thinking it's okay. Not only am I stealing $45 from the movie theater, from Lowe's, or Showcase, wherever I was, I'm teaching others to do the same. Everyone I went to, I'd be like, just buy a ticket, watch it the whole day. It's unbelievable. Make a day out of it. I'm relaxing the commandment of stealing, and I'm teaching other people to do the same exact thing. Man, I was living like the least in the kingdom of heaven. Notice God doesn't say you're not going to be in relationship with God, you're not going to be part of the kingdom of heaven, he says, you'll be the least. There should be something inside of all of us that longs for greatness. And that greatness shouldn't be in this world, according to this world system, it should be according to the system of the kingdom of God, where the last will be first, and the first shall be last. There's a greatness that you should aspire to, to be great in the kingdom of heaven. And when we relax... (laughs) the commandments of God and teach others to do the same, we are acting like the least of the kingdom of heaven. And it's actually detrimental to the work of God. So I want to ask you guys, when you just heard that, what commandments, what laws of God are you relaxing and teaching others to do the same? And once you identify those, I would ask you with all your heart to repent before God, receive his grace, be changed, and inspired to be great in the kingdom of heaven. Amen? And the final thing Jesus ends on is he says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Now this gets a little more serious right there. Because the first one he said, you'll just be least in the kingdom of God. Now he's saying you'll never enter the kingdom of God. I started watching a new show. Because you know how you start watching a really good show and your wife or your girlfriend or your boyfriend gets in on it, then you have to wait for them for every show? You, like, need a show. You don't have to wait. That's just what I'm preaching. It's not in the Bible. That's just how I stand. So I said, we have this one show that we watch together, and we can't wait. You can't, no matter how much, you get off early, you can't watch it without your spouse. I found another show. said, I can watch a show by myself. I started House of Cards. Anyone watch House of Cards? So House of Cards is this total political game where everyone's doing stuff on the outside, but they're absolutely filthy, disgusting on the inside. Like, there was a point where a man went down south because some kid lost their life, and the parents were mad at him because he made sort of regulation to put a thing there that hurt the child in, in the process of the whole thing. I'm paraphrasing the whole situation here. But the parents were mad at him because they felt like a decision he made to put, like, a water thing there had ended up being something that the their teenage daughter had drove into and died, and they couldn't stand him because of the regulation. So him, he doesn't care about the child. He doesn't care about the family. He cares about the next election. He cares about his next vote. So he goes down to the church, Bible in hand, notes in the Bible from the previous night, gets up in front of the congregation and starts preaching a message that if you didn't know from the movie, from his him narrating the whole thing, that he was filthy inside, people from the outside would say, This man really cares about us. He didn't care about anyone there. He cared about his own glory and his own election and his own power. But outside, you couldn't tell that. That was the Pharisees. Everything they did was external form of religion to be exalted by man and to give them more power over man. Nothing, None of it was rooted in the kingdom of God that is within that changed hearts and minds and causes our outward actions to love God and love others. So what Jesus is saying to us as disciples of him, unless your righteousness exceeds the external righteousness of the religious leaders of his day, who did it all for glory and power of their own, you will not even enter the kingdom of heaven. But that's where the gospel comes in, because the kingdom of God is within. So I don't want people being afraid here and saying, oh my goodness, am I part of the kingdom of heaven? I want texts like this to say to us, I need to analyze my heart and analyze my motives in the finished work of Jesus, knowing I'm in relationship with God. Does that make sense to everyone? Not out of a condemnation, but out of a freedom that says, yes, you can be pure of heart through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, you can have motives that are right. Yes, your thought life can be changed by the power of God, the Holy Spirit. So your outward actions match your inward actions. And your loving God and loving others out of a pure heart, because Jesus came to fulfill that law and the prophets so that we could be made new inside. Amen.